Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Those of you online, welcome to you as well. You know, when I, uh, when I first got saved, some of you can probably relate to this. When I first got saved in June of 1995, and there'd be worship, I would almost always get these misty eyes worshiping. And, uh, and it doesn't happen every time now, but sometimes it does. And today felt like that. So thank you for anointed worship. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, when I first got saved, I, I had no idea the Lord called me to be a pastor someday. And half the time, even as I'm worshiping, I'm thinking about something on my notes or something. I said, and, and I'm still worshiping, but now there's other times where like today, thank you, Gary, I completely forgot I had to preach while I was worshiping. And, and that's a good feeling. Like, like, I could have gone for a while longer, so that, it's, uh, and I'm looking forward to heaven. I'll never have to teach in heaven ever again. You know, uh, it, you, you get to hear from Jesus, and you, you'll be you'll be pleasantly uh, you'll enjoy the change of scenery. I can tell, <laughs> tell you that. Uh, but uh, a couple of quick things uh, before we and again, welcome to those of you that are visiting. It's great to have you. And if you're visiting online, we've had we've had multiple people that have come up to me later and said. I watched here for eight weeks, and then I finally decided to come. So uh, if you're on week seven, come, on, come next week, and uh, we'd, we'd love to have you join us um, in person. But uh, a couple of quick things. Thank you to everybody that came out, uh, Jason and Melissa, Taylor, for leading kind of the, the whole uh, two-hour session that we had yesterday. We had great snacks and coffee, and then they just talked about what we're trying to do for the Lord uh, for this, these children belong to him. And, and, and the reality is the world is coming after our kids. Some, you know, this prophecy series might touch on some of that, but it, the enemy is coming after. And really, he's not winging it or taking a day off. He's coming 24-7 for your kids. And so thank you for all of you teachers that made time to be here yesterday, you parents who made time to be here yesterday, uh, and then Jason, Melissa, and Taylor for uh, leading the session uh, it was a great time, and, and I'm just excited about what God is doing in the children's ministry. Uh, we've come a long way, and we have a long ways to go in the children's ministry and in this ministry, uh, but we're thankful for what God is doing. And speaking of come a long way and ways to go, uh, as Mark mentioned, we did not plan to shift uh, the, the tailgate from April 26th, and it's now going to be moved to May 10th. So that Wednesday night, you'll still get your funnel cake. The truck is still reserved. <laughs> Uh, they were gracious enough to move with us, but um, we have, when we moved in this property in 2015, uh, the parking lot was an absolute mess, and we got it resealed, and they, and they put some, like, you know, the tar stuff on the cracks, uh, but I don't know if you realize, but the, the weeds are greater than tar. Uh, they <laughs> defeat tar. Uh, after about three years, they kind of come through anyway, and we have broken pieces, and uh, the uh, dumpster truck that comes out, it, it's a huge dumpster truck, puts the thing, uh, dumpster on there and lifts it up. It was sinking at certain times in the asphalt over here. So we have big chunks need to go, and I don't know when it was originally done, uh, but we have big dips, we have underground springs there, so uh, we finally are going to get it done. So we had mentioned um, uh, some of these projects, and these are the biggest projects we've ever <laughs> taken on. We are not paving it. A paving company is paving it. Uh, and they, have, they could do that week of April, um, what is it, 20, 24th, or we'd be all the way in the middle of the summer. And you don't want pavement laid in July. Uh, it'll, be like, uh, it'll be like Phoenix out there. So uh, for those of you that are from Arizona or whatever. Uh, so anyway, they're going to come, and we're just going to move the food truck to May 10th, uh, which is the funnel cake and all their other good stuff. So um, all of this up on the screen uh, I mentioned these priority projects. Um, we convinced, after four months of phone calls, many discussions that I had with the company that we had been leasing the modulars out there. We took over the lease from the church. Uh, when Village Church moved down to Courthouse Road, we took over the lease on the modulars. And after many calls, God gave me favor, and they've agreed to sell them to us, which is a big deal. Yeah, if I told you how much money we'd save over the next four, it's a lot. Um, just think like renting a house. You know, rental prices are like this, and in a mortgage, just rent something for like uh, five, eight years, and they refused to sell them for the long. No wonder we were like cash positive for them. And, I, and finally, 
I use the Lord. I came from this angle. I came from this angle. I came. I'm like, are you a person of faith? I would say stuff like that. And literally, I, and finally, they offered a, I think it was a little higher than I think it should be, but we'll save a lot over the next four years by buying them. But it's a, it's a lump sum that we have to kind of do up front to save a lot over the next four years. And so it's a big, it's a big really good thing for us. And the parking lot will go from looking like that, that dull gray with all the divots and holes and everything into smooth black with new stripes and everything else. So when we do the food truck two weeks later, it'll be nice and smooth. Mother's Day, if you have someone with a walker, they don't have to like trip over stuff. It'll be safer. And the grounds team has done a phenomenal job. You can see with the landscaping, we want to do the same thing with the string lighting out there and just make it welcoming. We do a lot of outreaches, you know, well, not a lot, but about three a year where we really try and get the community. We've witnessed to a lot of them. We've had them come. So we're just trying to make it look nice. And the Mazers, now that we'll own them, we can do what we want with them. And we will, uh, you know, if you've ever watched HGTV or something, some of you that are creative, we're going to put some wood trimmings on there. We're going to paint them. And the kids will have a nice, inviting place to come. So this property still has a lot of limitations, but we'll do, uh, compared to people in like, 90% of the Christian world, it doesn't have any limitations. Yeah. We're just used to our Americanized uh, slice of the pie, which, you know. So that's kind of, so if you would like to help donate towards any of them, we've saved for it, so we'll do it no matter what. But if you'd like to fray it for the future things that we want to do for the Lord, you can go to the giving site. I won't put a thermometer up on the screen, nothing like that. Uh, but if you want to go out there, there's a, there's a little drop down that says priority projects. And if you say, hey, I'd like to help towards that, uh, because it is going to be two of the, the parking lot and the modules will be the two big capital ex biggest capital expenses we've ever had in eight years. But we feel like for the next four or five years, it's the right thing to do to, uh, to welcome the community and, and really make it look as nice as we possibly can. And safety uh, for both of them, because they both have some uh, repairs that need to be done. So all of that, thank you for any help. And then those of you that have skills, will use your sweat equity, uh, not for the parking lot. And then lastly, the Guatemala trip, uh, the Italy's mission trip will be June of 2024. Uganda, we may still do in the fall. I'll be talking to them in the next two weeks. We still have a team that wants to go, and so we might send a team to Uganda in, uh, in the fall. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, nail that down in the next two weeks. You, Guatemala is a go at $1,400 a person, uh, and that is including airfare, uh, meals, travel, everything. Uh, $1,400 includes everything for a full week from the 25th of July to August 1st. I think we have one spot left, unless they allow us to increase up to, like, I think we have one spot left, which will put us at like 15 people, and then unless they give us five additional spots, if Jeff says, hey, we'll do 20, then maybe we'd have. But, uh, so if you're interested, uh, I don't mind going back to Jeff and saying, hey, could you accommodate a few more if people wanted to do it? And then if you can't go, but we have like young people or people that are going that just don't have much at all in their savings or checking account, but they still have a desire to go. If you can help them go and say, I can't go, but I can help someone go, then that would be a really big help. And I know the Lord would be well pleased uh, with that as well. So, and then our last, we want to continue to pray for revival. As we look at this prophecy series today, uh, we understand that um, we have a lot of people that need Jesus. We have a lot of people that need their eyes open. Uh, we have a, a country that needs an awakening. We have a church that is asleep. Uh, and, and we want this church to be wide awake and disciples of Jesus Christ and walking in the faith, not just kind of claiming a faith, but like walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've been praying for revival for a long time. We've been praying for one nation every week. This week it's Romania. Uh, so we'll pray for that nation. Um, and in addition to that, we've been, ever since the pandemic, we've been getting on our knees for about 45 seconds of silence, which is way harder in the second service than the first service, I understand. But if you're here and you're visiting, you don't have to do that. But if you want to get on your knees with us for about 45 seconds of silence, or if you have bad knees, by all means, uh, just sit there. If your doctor says, don't ever do that, then just sit right there and pray with us. 45 seconds of silence, and I'll pray for revival, and then we'll get into God's Word. Let's pray.
Father, we're reminded that the same God that says, shout to the Lord, says, be still, know that I am God. You also tell us at times to be silent. But Lord, we also know that uh, you're not willing that any should perish. And we look at a nation that is perishing, we look at souls that are perishing here and around the world, we look at ourselves, and until you rescued us, we were perishing. And maybe, Lord, there's someone in this room that's still perishing because they've not come to know you as their Lord and Savior, not come to that place of repentance and faith. But, Lord, we pray for revival in this country, Lord, that will never start with trillions being spent. We've already done that. More elections, we've already done that. Lord, all of these things, we know that the only thing that can bring about a change is the change in heart, Lord, that you can do and you only can do when you open up eyes that are blind, when you soften hearts that are hard. And Lord, we have from the highest offices to people with no name, people that are in darkness, people that have hard hearts, people that are in bondage and chains and idolatry and sexual immorality. And Lord, we just pray that uh, you would bring the conviction of sin. We pray that you would uh, awaken a sleeping church. We pray that you would awaken a lethargic church. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would bring winds of revival in every state, in every city, in every place in this country. And Lord, that you would refill the pulpits in America with the power of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the Word of God. We pray, Lord, that uh, we would be bold and faithful, but Lord, that you would give us your strength to do that. Uh, we pray for the nations around the world, and today we pray for Romania, Lord, that nation that was, uh, or at least that part of the world that was part of the Roman Empire, that the apostles and others went and brought the gospel to. We pray that they would see a revival there and in all the countries of the world, not just Romania, not just America, but Lord, we also pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters, wherever they're at, Lord, comfort them, heal them, deliver them, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And if you find your seat, please turn with me to three places in your Bible. I will do my best to somehow squeeze this in, in our time together. Um, Matthew chapter 24, uh, 2 Timothy 3, and first, uh, 2 Peter uh, 1. Uh, Matthew 24, 2 Timothy 3, and 2 Peter chapter 1. Starting in Matthew's gospel, and this is, the, this is known, the 24th chapter. And if you're visiting with us, we just had Easter Sunday last uh, Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Palm Sunday before that. Uh, so I have this little gap, and the Lord put on my heart to do this mini prophecy series which is biting off a lot to chew in two weeks, but uh, I am a glutton for uh, drinking out of a fire hose and sending it right back to you. So we will do that uh, as best we can, and then we will get into uh, the book of Acts in the month of May, which is our brand new study in the book of Acts, so just so you kind of have a reference point of why we're here today, and, uh, but I'm sure it's, I think you'll find it's relevant to where we're at. Matthew chapter 24, known as the Olivet Discourse, uh, where Jesus teaches on the Mount of Olives the week of his crucifixion at Passover week. And we can't read the entire chapter, though I wish we could. But let me pick it up with verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name. Not just many saying that to Christ, but, but representing Jesus, religious leaders. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will, see, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences, which is disease, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Same chapter, turn over to verse 32, staying in Matthew 24. Now, Jesus still speaking, red letter, and if you have a red letter Bible, now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branches have already, by the way, the fig tree is Israel. This is a, a picture that Israel is the fig tree in this, and uh, what he's about to say here. This, learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. Notice it doesn't have fruit. Remember, he cursed the fig tree because it had no fruit. Here he says leaves are going to come back, but it's still not fruit. It's not the fruit of repentance yet. By the way, Israel's come back, but it still needs the fruit of repentance. But he said the leaves are there. Puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, 
know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, that was Jesus speaking, now Paul speaking. Paul writing this epistle, this pastoral epistle to Timothy, a young pastor. But he tells Timothy in the end times, this is what's going to happen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, but know this, positive, know this in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, that's not a character trait, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then we see what creeps into the church in verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power thereof. And eventually even the church will have a form of godliness, but it really won't be the power of God. It'll be the power of Christian consultants and marketing. Then lastly, over to 2 Peter. Uh, 2 Peter, he kind of gives this good summation of the prophetic word and kind of all prophecy, but then Scripture itself. And it starts in verse 19, 2 Peter chapter 1. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, and you're holding it right now in your hands, the Bible, which you do well to heed. It doesn't do you any good if you don't heed it. Uh, As a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of, of any private interpretation. That's how you get cults. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that we have your word in these times and in future times and in the past. Lord, our brothers and sisters had your word. And Lord, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray this morning you'd remove every distraction. Lord, if someone's tired, you'd wake them up. Uh, Lord, if somebody is anxious, you'd give them your peace right now. Lord, you would, in this room, you would settle minds and hearts that we would hear from you because you're the one we need to hear from. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Moses prophesied. David prophesied. Isaiah prophesied. Jeremiah prophesied. Daniel prophesied. Ezekiel prophesied, to name only a few, in the last 4,000 years from the garden till Jesus came in Bethlehem. When Jesus came, he prophesied. You just read some of it in Matthew chapter 24. He prophesied of his own life. He prophesied of his death. He prophesied of his resurrection. He prophesied of Israel and the nation of Israel. He prophesied of the work and ministry of the church. And he also prophesied of the end of the age, or also called the last days. There really is a last days. If people ever say, oh, I, said, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe the last days, they say, well, then you need to read what Jesus said. After Jesus returned to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father, the baton was passed to the apostles, and men such as Peter and Paul, they prophesied, and they wrote some of the things that we just read. The word prophecy is found in the Old Testament. It's also found in the New Testament. Or the Tanakh is the Hebrew word for the Old Testament. In the Old Testament is the Hebrew word uh, nebuah. Sorry, nebuah. The Hebrew word nebuah, and it means specific and genuine. It can also refer in the negative to something false, like a false prophet would have a false prophecy. In the New Testament, prophecy comes from the Greek word prophetia, which means a discourse of divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God, revealing things that are hidden, especially things concerning the prediction of events related to Christ's coming kingdom. The word prophecy also has the simultaneously broader meaning meaning of the endowment of speech of those who are called to teach the word, and that they would teach it as prophecy. In other words, that the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, 
all of it is divine inspiration and divine declaration and divine revelation. Does that make sense? You have the broader meaning that all Scripture is prophecy, but you have the more narrow and combined view in both the Old Testament and New Testament that some prophetic Scriptures are specific to future events. These type of passages in the Bible make up about 27% of all your Bible, or more than one in four of all the Scriptures. This includes prophecies that have now been fulfilled, and many that are still waiting to, but will absolutely be fulfilled. And because the Scriptures are 100% true and accurate, not like the weatherman, I think I could do that job. How about y'all? I'll say 30%, 40%, maybe make it 55% tomorrow. But no, the Bible is always true, never wrong. And all the remaining biblical prophecies are going to happen exactly as God has said that they will and in his timing and according to his will. And some of the most important ones that have yet to happen are on the horizon. Which is your hope if you know Jesus. But it's a great warning if you don't know Jesus. By the way, a Pew Research poll, and Joel Rosenberg did a great job of kind of doing this in his Rosen, Rosenberg Report. You can go to YouTube and just type in Rosenberg Report, uh, Pew Research, comma, or something like that. But they did this uh, study late last year. 39% of Americans believe we're in the last days. That's two in every five people. Now, 39% of Americans are not born again. I wish that were the case. We'd have a totally different society if 39% were born again. We have a lot of people that name Christian, but they, they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But still, about four out of every ten believe they're in the last days. Now, they just keep hitting the snooze button on the alarm clock, but that's what they believe. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, Closer by the Day, The Signs and Times of the Last Days. The last days refer to the period of time just before Christ returns to set up his uh, kingdom on this earth. The last days also include the seven-year tribulation period, but it's also the close proximity leading up to the seven-year tribulation period. All that is the last days. Jesus referred to those days leading up to the tribulation, leading up to the tribulation and his ultimate return at the end of the tribulation. But he, the, the days he's talking about leading into the tribulation, he referred to those as beginnings of sorrows, storm clouds, labor pains, signs that would signify for us that the final events are close to taking place. Next week, which will overlap with today, uh, we'll look closer uh, at uh, some of these things. Next week's will be called the rapid unfolding of Christ's return. Because once they start to happen, they're going to happen fast. It's like, when, you ever seen when someone lights a match, at first it kind of starts going, it needs to kind of get going, and then whew, the fire moves quick. Now, Christ's return will be a two-part return. First, he's going to come get his bride, the church, and then finally he'll come to judge the world and to set up his earthly kingdom. So it's a two-part return. Remember, his first coming also had two parts. They go, really? How did, how did it have two parts? Well, first he came and was born in Bethlehem. And then he died and came back to life. So it had a two-part. Part one, he's here. Part two, he's gone. But he never really was gone. His body was in the tomb, and he comes right back three days later. So he had a two-part coming even in his first coming. His first coming came with signs, and it came with timing, didn't it? It had to be at a specific time, but there were signs of his coming. That's the wise men were able to follow signs all the way from the Middle East all the way to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. His second coming also has signs, and it has a specific timing. In his first coming, because of the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 called the 70-week prophecy, the people in the first coming actually had a more firm, or should have had, a lot of people were asleep then too, but they should have had a more firm understanding of the time frame when the Messiah was to be born 
although they had less visible signs. Not everybody got what the wise men got. They had less visible signs, but they had more precise timing because Daniel's 70-week prophecy, which is 70 groups of seven years, 69 of them brought them to the coming of Jesus. And then there's the seventh, the 70th or final seven-week period, seven-year period that still remains. So we now, in his second coming, waiting for his second coming, we have less clarity on the exact time frame, but we have more signs to look for. That makes sense. They had more clarity on the sign, uh, more clarity on the time, and less signs to see. Hopefully, today and uh, more next week, we'll bring some added clarity in how the unfulfilled prophecies build on the already fulfilled. And that's what happens. You have the fulfilled prophecies, and then Scripture builds the fulfilled ones, lay the foundation for the unfulfilled ones. In other words, Jesus had to come a first time for him to come a second time, right? So that prophecy was, hey, he'll be born in Bethlehem. That already happened. Now he will come in the clouds. That remains to happen. Daniel's, uh, all of these things, they build on each other. It includes things I briefly mentioned, such as Daniel's 70 weeks, Jesus' first coming, uh, and then the key role that Israel plays in being the fig tree. Now, none of what we're looking at today or next week is to scare us, but as Dr. Ed Henson liked to say before he went home with the Lord, the study of prophecy is not to scare us, but to prepare us. Uh, when they get Navy SEALs ready, they're not trying to scare them into quitting. They're to prepare them for fulfilling the mission. Amen? It's not to say, hey, we want every one of you to quit so we don't have any SEALs, but to prepare them to fulfill the mission. None of this is to make us as well today and next week. It's not to make us prophecy experts. There is no such thing. Because what we're observing will become more clear as it happens. Now, some people might know more than others. I get that. But uh, the only expert on it all is Jesus. There are a number of biblically orthodox views, but will in varying degrees over time prove some of them will prove to be correct, some of them will prove to be incorrect, and in varying degrees nobody will be 100% correct because it is, there is still some mystery to all of this. We understand that. Jesus said these things you would understand, time frames, and, but not specifics of everything. That makes sense? So some of it, you know, we'll all be, oh, we're all wrong on that. Right? We're in the clouds with Jesus. Uh, I thought, and Jesus was like, yeah, I know what you thought, but uh, you, here's what it is. You know. <laughs> so uh, my heart and intent as we look at the prophecies and we look at the scriptures and we examine uh, the end times and the limited time we have this week and next week is that we would all have the heart that Paul speaks of in Philippians 3.20. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven. No matter how much you love the American flag or don't love the American flag, if you're saved, our citizenship is in heaven for which we, eagerly, which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the, ra- the reality is many people that n- claim to be Christians are not eagerly waiting for Jesus. They're more eagerly waiting the next release on Netflix than Jesus. That's, that's the fact. They're more eagerly waiting their bonus check or whatever it is, that they, their best vacation ever or all these things. And I'm not saying those things are wrong, but they pale in comparison to your citizenship in heaven. Amen? And we should eagerly await his return. Also, in addition to us desiring Jesus more, I hope that this also stirs us to fulfill what he's asked us to do. And in Romans 10, 15, that's to bringing the gospel to people that don't know the Lord. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Yes, the prophecy, some of it is scary stuff that would you know, really trouble people. But the good news is they don't have to be unprepared. They can be prepared by having salvation and the Holy Spirit living inside them and know that this isn't their home. But how shall they hear unless we say that? Let me give a brief eschatology or end times overview, just one little piece of it, of the prevailing views. And also, uh, you'll understand where, where I myself and, and all other Calvary Chapel pastors, I can speak for us as Calvary Chapel pastors, and many non-Calvary Chapel pastors, and a lot of non-Calvary Chapel pastors that have the same exact kind of eschatology view that I hold, and, and many scholars do as well. And then there's people who have 
a, a different view. And some of those views are fine. They're not false. Uh, they're free to be wrong. That's fine. But anyway, um, uh, no, I'm <laughs> well, partially. But anyway, uh, um, but I'll show you where I believe we're at on the prophetic timeline. And, and, and even in this room, I'm sure there might be some of you that have disagreement. And that's fine. There's, there's areas where we can have disagreement, and yet we're still biblically orthodox. But before we close, and then, and then we'll close this service with some of the signs that we're seeing in the world right now today. Uh, I'll look at six with you and where they fit within the scriptures and, and things that must take place, will take place, and in some places already are taking place uh, as it relates to, and all of this relates to the coming of Jesus to establish his kingdom. Everything is building to Jesus being what he already is, king of kings and lord of lords. He already is that. It's just one day the whole world, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, but we're moving towards that point. But there's three primary views, and um, the other night we had our men's studying Revelation, I had a brain freeze in my own just trying to squeeze in an ultra-quick primer on the four millennial views, which is amillennialism, post-millennialism, pre-millennialism, and dispensational millennialism, uh, which is my personal view of Scripture. And if you, that made no sense to you, come back next week because I'll touch on those. But I'll touch on those next week, and I won't spend a lot of time because it's just kind of a basic understanding and then we'll get into what's the, where the rubber meets the road. But, uh, but all that's related to the rapture, those, those different views. And although they're different views of the end times, they're all related to people's views of the rapture, the tribulation period, which is a seven-year period, and Christ setting up his earthly kingdom. Uh, today, I, I want to focus on more of the birth pains, the storm clouds, what Jesus called the beginnings of sorrows. That's where we're at, where I believe we're at right now. We're in the beginnings of sorrows that will build an intensity as we move towards the seven-year tribulation period. And anyone who believes scripturally that there is, in fact, a seven-year tribulation, because some Christians don't believe there's a seven-year tribulation, and I'm talking about Christians that are saved, they're on their way to heaven, they just don't believe there's a seven-year tribulation, they believe that suffering and cataclysmic events have always been the norm in history, and they don't see any special seven-year period. Now, I don't know how they ignore certain passages. That's on them. to you know, that, That's what they believe. But they, and some of them are faithful to the Lord, and they share the gospel, and they love the Lord, and they'll just find out, oh, there really was a seven-year, and we missed it. Uh, so great. Uh, but, um, uh, but some don't believe in that, and some don't believe there's a rapture either, which is harpazo, the snatching away or the taking away of the body of Christ to meet Jesus in the air before or during or after the, uh, the, the tribulation period, because there's people that are pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, post-trib, all those kind of things. You're just like, I've never heard of any of this stuff. All right, that's fine. Just, we'll do our best. Uh, but we're looking, at the, we're looking at today the significant increase in birth pains that are, are the harbingers of what will take place in the tribulation. Take the earthquake in Turkey. Would anyone, would anyone here would have wanted to be in that? No, it was a massive cataclysmic event. Over 50,000 people have already passed away. Uh, my friend John Samara and, and Ananias have been working in relief uh, efforts there. But that is a tiny earthquake compared to the ones in the tribulation period, even though it is massive on our scale. We've never had anything in our lifetime in America like it, or the one in Sendai, or the one in Indonesia. But they're tiny compared to what's coming. So they're harbingers of what will take place. But all the things that are taking place and the human side, and the government side, and everything else, and the, the beginning of the sorrows are all setting the stage for a one-world government and the Antichrist to try and take control or take the reins of the entire planet. Not all believers in Christ believe that, like I said, that they don't believe there's a rapture of the church. Um, uh, but, you know, some do, and I do believe there's a rapture, and I believe it's before the uh, seven-year tribulation. Now, the people that don't believe there's a rapture or they don't think um, certain things will ever happen at all is because of the eschatology views that they hold. And I'll put all four up on the screen. Uh, these are the, the four different views of prophetic scripture. The preterist view is uh, they believe prophecies have happened in the past. So if Jesus said um, you know, that Jerusalem would be surrounded by armies, 
that they would say, yep, that already happened. Uh, Titus and the armies of the Romans already surrounded Jerusalem. Case closed, already happened. The fact that it will happen again under the Antichrist, they don't really see that as relevant. Uh, or the fact that there'll be another temple but there, even though there's not a temple now, it's just the Dome of the Rock is sitting there today. But they have a preterist view that everything took, already took place. Yes, it was prophetic then, but it already happened. The second view is the idealist view, which is picturesque language and allegory that expresses the ongoing battle of God and Satan's efforts. And so there are a lot of allegories in Scripture. Uh, Jesus just used one, the fig tree. He said, you know, this parable. He even said it was a parable. Uh, but the fig tree stood for something real. All of his parables stood for something real. You say, oh, that's a parable. I don't, need to take, I don't even need to pay attention to it. No, every parable Jesus said, you need to really pay attention to it. They meant something specific. But people see that. Uh, uh, the, the next view would be the historicist view. And it treats prophetic writings uh, as symbolic retellings of different epochs in history. And then lastly, you have the futurist view, uh, which is seen scriptural text as explaining or emphasizing things that will take place, they have not yet taken place. The problem is, is that some believers only hold to one of these views. So like the preterist views the entire Bible, they say, and they could make this case, say, well, you know, the Bible was written way back in the first century, and portions of it were written much further back than that, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, 700 years before even Jesus came, Isaiah, and things like that. So it was already written, so it all took place already. Whereas the reality is, a lot of it was prophetic future when it was written, but now has taken place, so now we would all have a preterist view of that. But some things still remain, but the preterist sees it all as already taking place in the canon of Scripture, uh, the reality is all four of these views are in Scripture and active right now. I don't hold to one of the four. I hold all four. And you can even see all four views in a specific chapter or even a small range of texts. A great example is Daniel's 70-week prophecy, which I already mentioned. You know, 70 years of seven. 69 have taken place. One, the, the 70th week, has yet to take place. But we can see all four of these views in just Daniel's prophecy there in chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. You can go home and read verses 20 through 27, and you'll see, for one, it's said that the Messiah will be cut off. Well, when it said that, that was futurist. But now Jesus was cut off. Of course, he rose back from the dead. So now that would be preterist because Jesus was already uh, crucified, so that's a past event now. But it also says that he would end sins and bring reconciliation. That's speaking of an epoch of the old covenant coming into the new covenant. So that would be the idealist, or the historicist, sorry. That's the historicist view. Then he also, in addition to that, um, we have, he mentions that same prophecy, the, uh, the, the Antichrist will come on the wings of abomination. Well, that is allegory. The wings of abomination is an allegoric statement. And then lastly, you have the covenant will be broken in the middle of the final 70th week. Well, that's futurist because that has not happened yet, right? So all four of these views, all four of these are just, just in Daniel's 70-week prophecy, all four of these. So people that hold to one of the four it makes no sense. Uh, it would be like saying, you know, when I approach anything, I only use my right hand. Even if you needed your, both feet and the other hand, now I just use one hand, well, good luck with certain things in life because that will not really work. But uh, as you look at the Scripture, it's important that you kind of see that all of these are here. When Daniel, was given the pro when Daniel was given the prophecy, the entire prophecy was futurist at the time, Right? But over time, well, the allegories were still there because you still have the wings of abomination. But I mean, uh, the timeline itself would have all been futurist. So as you study Scripture, all four views are visible. And just understand that if you read uh, materials that are related to prophecy books and things of that nature. And Jesus' is Olivet Discourse, or in the book of Revelation. Of course, the book of Revelation is an entire book. The Olivet Discourse is a couple of chapters. But all four easily seen in the Olive Discourse, all four easily seen in the book of Revelation. You have things that have happened, you have epochs of time, you have things where the allegory is used, and you have, which is figurative language, like Israel called the fig tree, or, that's in Matthew 24, 
But you also have in Revelation chapter 12, it's called the woman with child. Well, that's Israel giving birth to the Messiah. That's an allegoric statement. The woman with child, Israel's the nation or the woman. The child is Jesus himself. Satan's there to meet the child, try and kill the child. That happened with Herod. Jesus escapes and all of that. So you see these things are told. Then you have things in the book of Revelation and the Olivet Discourse that have yet to happen, and that's actually the majority. The majority has yet to happen. If you've read the book of Revelation, you're like, I've never seen this happen, I've never seen this happen. Well, of course, they still remain. Jesus said those things would happen at the end of the age. They couldn't all be preterist view because they, if they all happen, where's the end of the age? Well, we've had 2,000 years since then. So by definition, it doesn't really hold, but there is a place for it. All that said, here's where, I, if you like charts, this is one of my favorites. I've used it in the past. I will probably use it forever. And I have my own annotations on it. Here's where I believe we're at in time. This is Dr. Arnold Frechtenbaum's. Um, this is his, yeah, this is his um, chart. And it also has a few things that I added to it. Uh, as Jesus said, no one will know the day and the hour. But, it, but he said we could understand the season. And, and by the way, this is another one of these, um, this view represents something we see often in Scripture where the Bible will say something and it hits multiple targets at the exact same time. It, Jesus is speaking to the uh, seven churches of Asia, which are seven churches in modern-day Turkey. All those churches are now gone. He speaks first to Ephesus, for example. Those seven churches, we all understand, were seven literal churches. They were as literal as us on Genito Road. They had a pastor, they had a fellowship, they had a congregation, they were all meeting in those cities. You had seven literal churches. Then you have seven kind of assessments of their walk, and all seven were not in the same place. Philadelphia was a very faithful church. They were clinging to Jesus, whereas Laodicea had gotten rich. They had lots of money. They, gave, they tipped God with their time. They just, did, they just weren't all that focused on spiritual things. You had Smyrna, you know, which was being persecuted and killed for the faith. So you had, the different, you had not only the seven little churches, but you had the different characteristics of those churches, whether they were walking faithfully or not walking or somewhere Jesus would say, this I like, but this uh, you need to kind of clean up and repent of. And, and, and you know, you've got some that were uh, completely false, uh, you know, the Jezebel teaching, all that stuff. So there were seven different churches, but then you also today, although those seven literal churches are gone, I believe right now today, the, you have churches that fit any one of these seven descriptions. In other words, you can have a church that is... 45 people in the middle, middle of Kansas that is faithful as the day is long. They might not, no one knows who they are, but Jesus says, they, are, they have not denied my name. They are preaching, teaching, praying, interceding. They're not perfect, but they're being faithful. And then you might have a church that has 16,000 people attending, and everyone in town thinks it's the most amazing place on earth, and God says, it's dead as a doornail. That, that was the church at Sardis, for example. So you still have all that going on. And then on top of that layer, I believe that the seven churches also re represent seven periods of time from the time of Christ to right now. And all those fit fine. They're not like in competition with each other. Each of those literal spirit of those churches and seven periods of time, which would bring us to this final period, the Laodicean age. The lukewarm, the church has a lot more money, has a lot more time. We're much more like that church I'm talking about the broader body of Christ. So this is what you see. Now, all of that lines up with, um, you know, Jesus talks about, the. we'll talk about this more next week, the wise versions and the foolish versions and who's ready and who's not for his return. But you have all these things that have happened just since 1900. Uh, the world was kind of cruising along with everybody with horse and carriage and chariots and wagon wheels uh, for the first uh, 6,000 years. And all of a sudden we get to 1900 and everything changes. By the end of the decade, well, even middle of the 1900s, airplanes are having dogfights in the air. And uh, you've got tanks, and you've got missiles, and you've got uh, 
Weather balloons. And balloons are back in the news again. But anyway, uh, uh, all of that kind of stuff is uh, going, uh, going on and all the different things that have... And everything went like a hockey stick. World, the population went like this. Kind of went like this a long time. Then it, population went like this. Technology went like this. Data went like this. Speed went like this. Mobility, travel, everything. And it all started around 1900 because the Bible says things will accelerate near the end. Everything will speed up. It's a term they use in NASA. For, you remember the space shuttle would go up? The space shuttle would go up and it would have a rocket booster on it. When the space shuttle would reach maximum speed, then they would hit the rocket booster so it would get a force multiplier. So when it reached top speed, that's when they released the rocket and it would even, uh, the speed would be multiplied so it could hit the atmosphere and get into outer space. And that's called vector when you actually you have something moving at a high rate and then it hits a force multiplier and it propels it that much at an exponential rate. Well, kind of time was going along like this, and all of a sudden we hit this vector point where everything hurdles forward. And that's why in just 10, I don't know, like three or four years, America's changed. I mean radically changing before our very eyes in a matter of years. Things people believed normal for 100 years just out the window. You can say that chair is a, a girl and someone will believe it. On the, the chair. All right, so what is all this bringing us to? Six things we've got to kind of bring it to a close. So, so this is the period we're looking at today. And I'll look at six things that are happening in this period, which includes the spirit of Antichrist, not the Antichrist being revealed yet. The spirit of Antichrist has been around since Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Immediately Satan tried to infiltrate the church, bring in the Judaizers, bring in the false teachers, all the kind of stuff that you see. Um, cults, things like that. That's all been happening, but it's accelerating near the end. And even things like the world wars, World War I and World War II, we still have World War II veterans with us right now. There's not as many, but there's still some with us. There's still Holocaust survivors alive right now. They still have the tattoos on their arm. All of that is recent history when you look at a timeline. When you look at a timeline, you look at from 1900 till now, it's like a little sliver. And you're like, how did all this happen right now? We read more in a day than some people read in their entire lifetime. Literally. And it's frying our brains, by the way, but nevertheless, it's not even good for us. It truly is not good for us. We actually all suffer from information overload right now, and Satan loves it. He wants to just pump it right into you to make you disoriented, and God wants to recenter us. So six things that we're seeing that kind of come, well, uh, some of them are in the Olive Discourse, some of them are in other passages, but they all come directly out of Scripture. First one we'll look at just kind of in their last uh, 10, 15 minutes is apostasy. Um, and you ha- I have a passage for each one of these, and this is what it says in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We're here. We're already here. Uh, we have people in our federal government that if they could outlaw the Bible right now, would. That, that if they, the truth were told, if you could look inside their mind and their brain, if you could ask a question, if you could outlaw it tonight, would you? If you could wave a wand and give full, they would do it. They won't tell you publicly that, but that's what they believe. So the, but, but then you have people that also want this, they st- and they still want to go to church amazingly. They just want a church that looks like whatever they want to design, and because they'll design it themselves. It says they will, but according to their own desires, they will have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn away their ears from the truth. That's the key phrase right there. They'll turn away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They'll actually believe, make-believe things. A time is coming, and it's already here, that people will believe anything as long as it's not from God. I mean anything as long as it's not from God. You can call yourself anything, but as soon as you hold up a scripture, they want to run the other direction. So apostasy. Well, apostasy really takes place inside what is supposed to be the church, but it's not, but it's supposed to be the church. Apostasy has been observed from Genesis till now. You know, Moses had Janus and John Braves to deal with and all that stuff. It's the reconciliation, it's, it's, I'm sorry, it's the rejection, apostasy is the rejection or the twisting of Scripture, but still attempting to represent God, Jesus, and the Scriptures. Even Jesus had an apostate among the twelve, Judas. Jesus said he was a devil from the beginning. That's a pretty good clue. 
that he wasn't in the right place at any time. And we have cults that are built on distorted views of Scripture. We have popes that think from the time that the pope papal was put in place that think they are the vicar of Christ. They are not the vicar, which is the representation of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the representation, representation of Christ until Jesus returns. Amen. Not a man. All the popes are flawed, so they can't be the representation of Christ. The only representation of Christ is the Holy Spirit because he's called the Spirit of Christ. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal perfection. The only vicar of Christ is the Holy Spirit. You cannot have a man or a woman or any person be the vicar of Christ, so that would be false. Uh, you have religions like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses that use Jesus' name, but they give you a, they present you an entirely different Jesus altogether. We have megachurch pastors, like a well-known one down in North Atlanta that now teaches that the Old Testament is irrelevant, uh, that evolution is compatible with creation, and that marriage isn't scripturally mandated as a man and a woman. It is, so, you just, so we're all clear about that. Three times in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus warned of people coming in his name. It's the only warning he gave three times. Deception, deception, deception. Within the use of his name, he said that would be the worst. People using his name would be the most deceptive of all. And as we get closer to the rapture of the church in the tribulation period, apostasy, imposters, hirelings, these are guys that just, you know, they just are in the ministry to make money, and you have celebrity pastors that are making, you know, driving around their cars and private jets and nonsense. Uh, that'll become more pervasive as you get near the end. And so will apathy. Apathy goes hand in hand with apostasy, uh, which Jesus seems to condemn just as much he talks about the lazy servant, and then he talks about Laodicea, uh, with an equal intensity as he does apostasy. So if you say, well, I'm not apostate, but I don't really care about doing anything for the Lord, you might want to listen as well. Because apathy and apostasy, he seems to have the same level of warning against. So just uh, keep that in mind. The second one is anti-truth. These all begin with an A, and I made this one start with an A. So uh, it's different than apostasy. Uh, you can see the passage that we have here, uh, who exchanged, this is Romans chapter 1, verse 25, it's talking about the, the climate of humanity, uh, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. The lie is anything that replaces God, and worshiped and served the, crea uh, the creature rather than the creator. So God's explaining here, if anyone in human history starts to think that there's not a creator, everything goes off the rails. Does that sound familiar? As soon as there's not a creator, everything goes off the rails. Who is the blessed forever? Amen. So apostasy is uh, more centered around the church structure misrepresenting God. Anti-truth is different than apostasy because this is the world's deceptive system. This is the unsaved world trying to get everyone on the broad road to destruction. And it's an illusion based on the desires of the flesh to create a world like you know, you had Cain and Abel. Cain wanted to create his own Cain world. Abel wanted to worship God. And so you have uh, a world trying to create a world without God's laws. Deception's been part of the world since the garden, but this anti-truth, it's an aversion to truth, it's a gravitational pull towards what is false, towards what is basically delusion altogether. And that's going to increase as we get closer to the end of the age. People are going to come, become more delusional. You're like, how are you possibly seeing this? Uh, it, it defies science. You, you say you love science, right? You ever hear people say, trust the science. I'm like, I do. You don't. That's the problem. You don't like truth at all. Uh, but we have um, you know, people denying that there is a creation. We have more and more people uh, uh, are moving to agnosticism or atheism or just don't believe that there's any creator, that all of this just created itself people that deny the clear design of both men and women, that there's a clear design of men and women, design how God designed marriage, design that there's human life in the womb, uh, design the scriptures themselves. We have corrupt governments both here and all over the world uh, that now lie uh, as often as they tell the truth. And I don't even know whether uh, sometimes it's hard to tell, but uh, on a wide variety of topics. Lately, you might have even seen this, and it's uh, hard to believe, uh, but we have the introduction of UFOs from our government uh, telling us uh, that we have UFOs out there and we, you know, Air Force is seeing it and this, that, the other stuff. And, and even though some of these things might actually be visible, it's all demonic anyway, so all of this is deception. And it's all making way 
for future leaders that will ultimately make way and give their power to a future antichrist who will be the most deceptive person the world has ever seen. The Bible says even the elect would be deceived if it were possible. But you can't get to an antichrist until you have a world that's full of anti-truth. Anti-truth sets the stage for antichrist. Keep that in mind. Anti-truth sets the stage for antichrist. Next one, advancement. And you see the passage I have from Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro. It's not talking about marathon running. And and knowledge shall increase. There'll be this exponential increase in speed and knowledge. And we're seeing it. Again, everything, everything cruising along, 1900, it goes like that. As Daniel foretold, the end times will have a massive advancement in knowledge and speed, um, we have incredible, vast repositories now of information and knowledge that no one in the world's history ever seen anything like it. Uh, the increase of speed and knowledge includes science, technology, healthcare, travel, mobility. Um, the speed, travel, and data explosion of the last 100 years is, is unprecedented, and there's no time in history that compares to it. And yet, all the advances that we have, all of the conveniences we have, all the things that were supposed to make our life so much easier and better will prove incapable of building the perfect utopia world. All the ease, all the inconvenience, all the ease, all the getting rid of inconveniences and bringing in conveniences. Watch, sometimes just watch how many commercials are, every commercial is about making your life smoother and easier. Jesus never promised that. He never said he'd make your life smoother or easier. He said he would take you to heaven. He said you'll get persecution along the way, but it won't be easier. But all these things won't bring happiness and it won't bring utopia. And so much of the technology has already become an albatross. We know our young people uh, have more depression, more anxiety, simply because their brains, it's rewiring their brains. It's, even unsaved scientists have observed it. That it the, the evidence is conclusive that these things are actually really hurting our young people, as well as all of us. Everyone now has early onset Alzheimer's now, in a sense, because of information overload. Uh, I, I definitely... Have seen it, and I wish you could. Sometimes we all wish we could turn it off, but it's become this albatross. Uh, but all of this technology, big portions of it, will be leveraged by future government and uh, leaders, and ultimately the role of the Antichrist. Uh, most of you know, if you've been here, my former career was in big, uh, big tech and, and business in big tech, and I spent 17 years working in both Canada and the U.S. around technology. And I remember uh, I was in a meeting in the early 2000s, and we were talking about digitizing the world's books, and it was actually a discussion of digitizing the library. Um, I can't remember what it's called. It might be the Royal Library, but it's in London. And, uh, and work that they were doing in digitizing every single document, every newspaper, every periodical. And in the meeting, I was in a small meeting, like 12, 15 of us talking about the technology that would be needed to be harnessed and how we would do it and which consultants we would use and all the different things that would be involved. And someone may ask the question, if all the materials are digital, can it eventually be manipulated, deleted, and restricted? This was in like 2002, and I like, I can tell you about the up. And then later, social media already is there. It already can be manipulated, deleted, or restricted, but eventually it'll be all things digital. You have massive data centers, you have machine learning, you have AI, artificial intelligence, biometrics. China, for example, uses this capability. They now have the capability, they already have the capability to scan the face, using facial recognition and their massive data centers, to scan their entire population in one second with 98% accuracy. They can scan the entire world's population in two seconds. They have to build the accuracy for the rest of the world because China is one ethnic, well, they're not one ethnic, they have a lot of, but they're closer to one ethnicity, whereas the world's population has many other ethnicities, so facial imprints are different and with different ethnicities. It'll take them a little longer, but the capabilities there, when they reach it, they can do the entire world's population in two seconds, every face on planet Earth. Um, so those balloons, don't pay any attention to that stuff. They didn't care. Uh, that's for next week. Anyway, uh, the potential for, the potential for di- digital manipulation of governments, banks, including your personal account. Uh, I know someone very recently that had 
a huge amount of their account taken out of one of the top three banks in America. It took them a month and a half to try and recover all their money that was taken around the world. Uh, all of this, everything is so connected uh, that the opportunities for things that are just uh, done uh, to harm people is just stunning. Uh, the, the next one, because i got to move quick, uh, is anarchy. And anarchy, Jesus mentions here in this way, and because of lawlessness will bound, the love of many will bound. Anarchy is the revolt against order and structure. Uh, synonyms for anarchy include disorder, chaos, and lawlessness. Parts of our country and now parts of the world have already been, they've seen skyrocketing lawlessness. I don't think I'd ever thought I'd see in my lifetime you know, in my lifetime, I'd seen riots, and in riots, anything happens. I mean, buildings are burned down, things are looted. But in a non-riot, just like two o'clock at the two o'clock in the afternoon in San Francisco, four people walk in with their COVID masks and empty a Apple store. You know, just you and, and no one does anything. Not the police, not the security guards. Like, see y'all later, have a good day. You know, kind of thing. You would never think you would see that, but it's become more and more. We're not even all that shocked by it anymore because we see it all the time. But there's just a growing disdain for law and structures. We have a disdain for any kind of sexual laws that God has put in place. And our nation has both a sexual obsession and a rejection of God, which becomes both lawlessness and idolatry at the same time. Increasingly, words mean whatever individuals decide they mean. You don't even have to have a unified definition. Anybody can come up with any definition they feel like for their word, the Bible says, every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. Work ethic isn't close to what it was 50 years ago, which is why we have all many, so many things in the underpinnings of our country make us ripe for takeover to the world's leaders. They all see the work ethic is long gone uh, in this country. Anarchy is against God's design in marriage. It's against his design in the family. And it results in we have millions of kids enduring divorce. And if you're divorced and God's restored you, we love you. Uh, I'm just saying, God, Satan's really used divorce in a bad way. Millions are born into single-parent homes, and that has created more people in imprisonment, drug use, mental health, suicide, homelessness, all because of anarchy. Last two, aggression. These are all right out of the scriptures. Uh, that one is in Luke, and I don't have time to read it, but it's the same thing that Jesus said, wars and rumors of war, ethnic strife, divisions, political anger and divisions, cultural divisions, economic divisions, stoking of racial divisions, even though there's only one human race, uh, religious persecution, hatred, violence, vitriol, terrorism, rumors of war, precursors to war, think Taiwan, threats of imminent wars, regional wars, escalation of weaponry, hypersonic missiles, all these are building to a crescendo. Even the re world wars are relatively recent, as I mentioned on the scale of time. Mass shootings become a nonstop event now. It used Columbine was like shocked everybody. It was on the news for seven straight days, maybe longer. Now it gets seven minutes and we, we wait for the next one because lawlessness starts in the heart. And that's where you have, a, when lawlessness is in the heart, then you get aggression, you get violence, you get murder. Only the Holy Spirit is restraining all of it. Amen? Or it would just be completely out of control like an atomic. When the atom, you split the atom, you get an explosion. And then lastly is afflictions. Jesus said uh, these would happen as well, and there will be famines, pestilences, which is disease, and earthquakes in various places. means not just the normal places. Earthquakes will start happening in unusual places. It's already happening, and it will happen more. Uh, the earth's been groaning ever since sin entered, and Romans 1 tells us the earth is groaning, and it will continue to groan at a higher intensity. Diseases will continue to proliferate, uh, we have exploding. Every time we kind of get our, it's like whack-a-mole, we get a control of one cancer, four more cancers burst onto the scene. So cancers, heart disease, diabetes, all of these things. We have hospitals on every corner, health clubs on every corner, pharmacies on every corner, you name it, uh, homeopathics on every corner, and yet everybody is trying to find the perfect elixir. And no one can seem to find it. Diseases, all these things, but also earthquakes, tsunamis, two of the most powerful seismic events in the history of the world are in the last 20 years, both 9.0s in Sendai, as well as um, the one in Indonesia. Uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, blizzards, droughts. Uh, we keep the insurance companies working nonstop. Many of them have said if it keeps going, they don't even know how they'll be able to insure people eventually because they, the losses continue to pile up after catastrophe after catastrophe. 
Uh, and all of this, millions are still completely asleep and think, this is the same as it ever was. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, Peter talks about that. They have no idea, though, how fragile everything is. Uh, are you cheered up yet? Anyway, um, they have no idea how fragile everything is and how any of it could unravel at any moment, but also that Jesus could return at any moment. Yeah. Because the rapture, we'll talk about more next week, is the imminent. It could happen at any moment, return of Christ. That's why I'm a pre-tribulation rapture. There's no events that need to take place for Jesus to come back. That's more for next week, but it's just kind of a hint there. Uh, but even though 40% believe we're in the end times, just a small group are actually drawing near to Jesus. Are you in that group? Are you drawing near to him? It says in Hebrews chapter 10, we usually use this verse about, you know, hey, we need to gather to church. But, and that's true. Uh, the early church would not understand why we're not coming to exhort one another to share our faith, exhort one another to pray, exhort one another to wait for Jesus' return. They would not understand. North Korea, if you'd asked them, hey, uh, what do you think America's doing? Well, with all their freedoms, I bet you they're worshiping 24-7. I'd say, I bet you you're wrong. Uh, they, with all their freedoms, they don't want to worship. They want to kind of do this, that, or the other, and then maybe if, if they get a hint Jesus could be back next week, then get it in gear. But he said, no, no, Come together, exhort one another, uh, exhort one another to draw closer to the Lord and closer uh, to one another that we would be doing what we talked about before, eagerly waiting, but also our feet shod with the gospel of peace, bringing it to a lost and dying world. And that is the part one to lead us into next week was looking at the rapture of the church and the tribulation period, but to be ready for those things. Amen? And with that, why don't you stand, because i got to close you. We have no more time for a closing worship song, because the children's ministry leaders will be very glad I'm doing it this way, <laughs> and thanking me that uh, we closed it. And, and thank you for uh, hanging in there for all of that. Uh, that was a, if it was a Monopoly board, you know, we, we hit everything as, as, we, as best we could in, in a very short kind of overview, and I hope it makes sense, and it'll be archived if you want to go back and look at it, and I've left many, many, many things out. But in this two weeks, I said, all right, Lord, if you want me to share, I will do it. I'll do my best to do it in two weeks. Uh, at least it kind of gives it, it's all meant to stir us to want to be doing what Jesus has asked us to do until he returns. Amen? Amen. And when, yeah. And when this service ends, if you need prayer, you say, hey, I, I want to ask a question about that or, or my own salvation, uh, Pastor Trevor's over there in the corner. There's, uh, we'll probably have some other folks, and we're glad to pray with you and talk to you, but let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for, again, uh, your warnings to us are your love for us. We know that love warns, and you, you're telling us to be ready because not only would we be ready for your return, but as we're ready, you're filling us with your joy, with your peace. We're not afraid of these things, because we know you hold the whole world in your hands. Lord, we know that you are very close to reestablishing uh, the perfection that was in the beginning, but before these things happen, before you establish your throne on this earth, uh, there has to be, there has to be a reckoning of things. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would be, uh, Lord, just truly eagerly waiting your return, but also uh, we would be eager to share the love and forgiveness of Jesus to a lost and dying world. Even people, Lord, that we would be surprised. Uh, I pray that you give us the boldness and the love to reach out to. And, and Lord, we'd even see some that would uh, shock us, say, I was hoping somebody would share that with me and come to know you as Lord and Savior. We continue to pray for revival. And Lord, use us this week uh, just to be salt and light in this world. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day. See you next week or next Wednesday.